Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park this recording too just in case for a backup but we are live victoria thanks for being here thanks for having me so just to get things popping off get everyone kind of know what we might get into here you seem to be doing a lot of big things in this life and but it's kind of you learn to overcome some trauma at an early age and some adversity and that's kind of what maybe jump-started your success would you say i think it's what's propelled me to drive so hard forward quite frankly chris i was determined to be better than sort of the biology i was you know born into and then circumstance that i was raised in and so that's what caused me to drive exceptionally hard from a career and life perspective Mm. so without that you think that would you would have found that drive on your own or no well, I'm exceptionally type A personality, um, as your listeners will learn, I'm sure, through the course of this podcast. Uh, and so I feel like innately there's something in my DNA that would have, you know, propelled me forward. And I sign um, a lot of my social media posts, hashtag no excuses and hashtag unstoppable. But I do think a lot like long before Simon Sinek was, you know, saying start with why and his TED Talk became so famous. For for me, uh, I spent a lot of time trying to understand my why and what what you know drove me forward. And so I have no problem sharing. I'm I'm a fairly open book. I'm born to a drug addicted teenage mother who was extremely abusive to me. I was removed from her care um, into you know a, a home that loved me, no further abuse, but socioeconomically lower circumstance in terms. Of my dad was a janitor, my mom a secretary, and I remember my mom said to me when I was probably ten or eleven years old, she's like, Tori, you just need to do better than us. And she didn't need to say that because, as I said earlier, I was determined to be better than biology or circumstance. And so that helped drive me forward. But again, I think innately there was something in me that, you know, wanted to like I had something to prove. Mm. So you got a bad hand of cards coming out the gate. Right. But and that's one of the cool things, because a lot of people who I follow based on, you know, even their TED Talks, comedians, sports figures, movie stars, whatever. It seems like a lot of them have had to come from some type of trauma in the beginning. And that's kind of, like I said earlier, jumpstart, not really jumpstart their success, but learn to what, you know, to give them that drive and that motivation and that, I don't know, that work ethic in order to become something better than what they found into. And I don't know if that's missing in the world today or what, I mean, I'm sure I'm not saying that people are not born into bad 
types of life, but it seems to almost be to almost be able to point a finger at somebody to blame like you're the reason why I wasn't able to do X, Y, and Z. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah, no, it it does. And you know, for me, I, I spent a lot of time reflecting. I have two children who are makes me feel old as I say this, but 22 and 18. And, you know, my, my son is the older of the two of them. And he's was identified as being like exceptionally gifted, but he's also exceptionally lazy. And I remember he said to me, you know, and I, and I think I've pushed them to try and understand the value of hard work and a dollar, just because I've worked really hard to provide the lifestyle we have to have them understand that, you know, we're in the top 1% and this came with really, really hard work. And my son said to me a number of years ago, he's like, mommy kind of pointed around the house. He's like, I don't need all of this. I'm fine with mediocrity. And, and so, and, and I won an award last year and he's like, oh, I'm proud of you. But he's like, just so you know, like, I don't want to be you. And so that's where I, I, again, I sort of reflect in, is it, is it the adversity that's driven me forward? The fact that my children didn't have that. And I see this very different kind of perspective. Now, innately, my daughter is like, she wants to make money. She wants to drive like she's, you know, so the two of them are very different. But I do actually wonder if that is when, you know, you sort of start with why and understand why, as you said, you follow these people. And a lot of a lot of them say it was hardship, adversity or challenge that's driven them forward. And I I do attribute a lot uh, of my drive to that, much like others, I believe. Yeah. Well, growing up for me, I felt like if I was challenged for something, I was almost instantaneously started to back away from it just because oh it was either too hard i would think or i would have a little self-pity it's like oh i can't do this and why why even bother but and i don't i guess it was maybe a little after college where if something started to become hard that i wanted to start to face it head on because i knew like kind of putting yourself out of your comfort zone that how much you might not see the benefit right then but down the road you would start to see it and even I followed Dr. Peter Atia, in which he's always talking about, you know, you have to challenge yourself each and every day, whether it be, you know, like mentally or physically, and just like small things. I'm not saying go out there and run marathons and, you know, try to pick up 500 pounds or anything, but just doing those all small things will actually lead to longevity. And you learn about yourself and learn that you, you know, you can take on daily life. It makes daily life almost easier, just like winning those small challenges. And so, you know, instead of backing away from those things, it was, like on some music for me, it was like, let's go take this and see what happens with it, you know, run with it. And if I fail, cool, no big deal. But what's worse that could happen, right? You either fail or I don't know, I guess fail. That's probably the worst thing that could happen. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. I, I mean, I, I spent a lot of time coaching, um, you know, people who are early in their career who want to spend some time with an executive, you know, sharing sort of some of my life lessons, if you will. And also when I speak on stages and, you know, one of the messages I I have is that if you don't lean into your discomfort, the things that make you highly uncomfortable, like the growth will not come. Sure. And to your point, Chris, what's, what's the worst thing you're, you're going to fail. Mm-hmm. Uh, or when it comes to, I also said, you know, it's been a lot of time talking about like, you know, getting, you know, what you're worth, what are they going to do? Say no, Right. Like, so, but I mean, there's fear of failure, fear of rejection. And so people just kind of need to overcome that hurdle to achieve what, whatever their goal or objective is. Yeah. And, you know, not only fear of rejection, but, you know, nobody wants to look like an idiot or a fool when they try something new. And, and that's when I, you know, part of it is like, you have to learn to adapt to that. And then like, okay, if you do look like a fool or if you do get rejected the first time, and if you don't, 
be able to succeed in some form. But then if you do it again, the same thing the second time and even a third time, then it starts to become on yourself. And that's when, you know, it's like, okay, maybe I need to take a step back and start to look at some other things and like figure out, you know, how to get past this goal, whether it be, I don't know, easy or hard, you know, and just that the fact that, like I said, you just grow as a person. And then like, you know, if you get cut off in traffic and like, you know, something really bad's happening, you're like, okay, cool. No big deal. I'll just keep moving on with my life. And I know worse things can happen and I'll be okay. So I don't know. Sometimes I just wonder, you know, I'm in my mid thirties. And sometimes I wonder if younger generations are missing that point or that importance of life by easily just playing the victim mentality and just saying, you know, Oh, I didn't, you know, Pat, like I used to work in higher education. Nobody got their work if they didn't do their work, their essays or whatever you want to say. And it was just so easy to blame others for it. It's like, well, I don't think so, bro. I don't think it works like that. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I agree. <laughs> so, but, but moving on though, I mean, you know, with your leadership style and your public speaking, I mean, did you have big influences during your life that you were kind of looking up to and just saying, Hey, I want to kind of follow their lead. And like, I like what they're doing and let me take some pearls and gems from them and just model yourself after them. Uh, sadly, I didn't. In fact, I think Chris that I, I, I learned uh, from people that I wanted to be nothing like, because they set really poor examples in business, uh, whether that was their integrity and ethics uh, to their leadership style. Uh, and so there, so for me, I, I didn't have a, a mentor early on or, or great example. I think I always had just this idealistic view of, uh, what I wanted to be based upon the type of leader I would want to work for. And, and I made some mistakes early on. So I became uh, a COO, chief operating officer at age 24. Now I graduated at 16. So I've been in the workforce for a bit. That was still young and it was still a stretch role. So a combination of being the youngest by two decades, the only woman literally at the boardroom table. Uh, I, I feel like I had a bit of imposter syndrome. And so yeah. Um, one. And I think I was still fearing failure and rejection. So I showed up in a certain way. And that was like to be all business all the time with like a bit of this mask. And, you know, I learned that my nickname had become the Iron Maiden. Um, and, and it was because I, I perform, I've been through 18 mergers and acquisitions. And a lot of that comes with, you know, reorganization and some synergies, as they call it cost take it making really difficult decisions and I would execute against those and I think people saw no emotion for me for example I got very good at managing performance uh but I never showed I I have a nickname it's turtle I have a tattoo on my arm um and because you know I'm I can shoulder a lot right I have a very tough exterior but I'm actually all marshmallow inside but this mask I wore and I showed up every day no one saw that and so for me and so this was a, a lesson. I, I wasn't the type of leader I would have wanted to follow into the fire. And so I had to start doing things very differently as well in being more vulnerable. And, you know, long again, long before Brene Brown, I like to think I was ahead of the Simon Sinek's and Brene Brown and those types with some of the phrases anyways and the way I operate. And so I had, had to do it differently. And so now um, I hope that I'm one of those leaders that people look in and I'm the one that they look up to and, and can be their, their mentor. Yeah. I mean, it's just kind of like what we just said earlier, you know, going into that board meeting and you being the only female in there. I mean, that's gotta be, you know, a little stressing and also very intimidating at the same time. And, uh, did you say you were pretty young at that age too? 24. 
Yeah. So, I mean, was that just kind of, and that was one of your first things going out. So yeah, going into that field and just knowing that, oh shit, is this how it's going to be? And then you overcoming that, I mean, that, you know, builds that turtle show that you just talked about right there where other people could just easily tuck back in and go hide away from it. But that's pretty cool. Like, yeah. Like we were talking about challenges and stuff. You just like, you just went in there and did your thing. Yeah, it's a, it was a pretty big stretch role for me because I'd come from um, working in financial institutions and running operations. And then all of a sudden, I'm in a business to business environment where almost all of the functional areas except for finance reported to me. So I, I, I mean, it was a stretch role and I needed to lean into people in my team who knew more about the functional areas than I did. Uh, I'm not a fan of fake it till you make it. However, when it comes to confidence, that's one of those areas where... Sadly, confidence is often um, interpreted for competence. Uh, and so I leaned heavily, you know, into it. But I could also say, hey, I don't know what I don't know. Um, and and with that, over time, uh, you know, then I I gained the actual competence in those areas and um, and the confidence matched uh, as well. But again, that's about leaning into the things that make you really discomfort. I don't think the, the growth is going to come otherwise. Yeah. Confidence definitely builds confidence. And I've learned that along this little path or whatever I've been doing here lately but you know and also with the fake it till you make it thing too I used to think that was like a cool quip I think it's the right word that you say and but I think that eventually does catch up with you if you are you know just winging a presentation or winging anything you do in life really it's going to catch up with you I mean because eventually you'll get exposed right um so yeah so yeah I agree that I used to like that saying but now it's kind of like no you know it doesn't it, it's cool to say it. it's cool to, in the beginning, but eventually you'll be exposed. And then, you know, all of a sudden, I think that'll lead you to a downward spiral and then wish you would never did the things that you did. So, but yeah. Yeah, yeah no, I agree. That's why I said for me, it's only that, you know, singular slice around faking it with a level of confidence, um, but not with around skills uh, and competence uh, at all. And even it's funny, I'm a lot of people ask me to talk about public speaking. And I'm like, I said, you need to know your content cold. Like you don't want to stand on a, also, I don't like to sound scripted and be reading for notes. So it should be a conversation you have with the audience and therefore make sure it's something that you, you know, you're intimately aware of. And yeah, you might refer to notes for some facts or figures to ensure you get it right. But so that, that for me all around, I'd, I'd much rather, you know, come from a place of like, knowledge and understanding and experience and then put my hand up to say when I don't when I don't know something because I'd yeah. rather that than look completely foolish or um, arrogant um, on the opposite and if I don't know the content but I've come across um, as though I did somehow do you know who Jocko Willink is no uh, he's a former Navy SEAL he's big on writing books now and kind of using his military experiences and putting them into the business world and one of his things is is uh is one of his recent books, recent books is called Extreme Ownership, where he basically just says that, hey, you don't know what you don't know and just admit it. You know, it's no really no harm and just saying and like owning that responsibility and like learning from it from there. And, you know, just, you know, instead of just going with that fake it mentality, fake it mentality that and just I don't know, acting like you can do something through for the world, just say it, you know, and it's no big deal. Like more you almost get more respect basically out of saying that and then saying, hey, you know let's sit down and talk about this and if you teach me or whatever, and we'll figure it out. So yeah, he's, and that's another thing. That's one of those things that a lot of people are scared to say, I don't know. Right. Just because of, again, you know, being looked down upon or, you know, or like they don't want to look vulnerable in that moment, I guess. So by yeah. saying that, and they look, you know, they don't have that confidence anymore. So 
yeah, but that's one of the cool things I've learned is just that, hey, man, it's, it's no big deal. And I respect people who say that to me, too, that it's just I'd rather them just tell me that rather than try to rant off some facts, figures, statistics and random stuff. You're like, what? This don't make zero sense, man. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it's really cool. But, you know, I guess moving forward, though, I mean, when did you start with the public speaking, though? I mean, was that just something that kind of came along your career path and or was it something, hey, I want to go tackle this on? Well, so it's it's interesting, and I'll I again leaning into the things that make you uncomfortable. Now, I was an actor when I was younger, and so I was comfortable standing in front of audiences, but I was always playing a part, someone else, not Victoria. And so when I had to start doing it for business purposes, I was uncomfortable because again, now it's Victoria standing on stage as Victoria, the leader who's supposed to have you know expertise in whatever I was being asked to speak on. And so I was thrust into doing it from like a, a corporate industry perspective and speaking almost exclusively on the industry or the functional um, uh, topic for that conference. And that was that's 20 plus years ago I've been doing that, sharing my personal story and weaving that into career and life lessons, that's newer for me. And so that's maybe 10 years ago. And also when I shifted to becoming a paid public speaker as well, because at the end of the day, to be an engaging speaker and captivate your audience, you want to build connection with them. And so my ability to share my story, my why, when it comes to, I have multitude of topics, but there's one that I do often around career and life lessons. And I start with my, my why. And so that brings people in, um, but just to anecdotes uh, as well, to build that connection. I, in, and it's funny, cause I even coach, you know, my sales and relationship um, or client um, uh, managers within, you know, my, the teams that I lead directly to say that, you know, people do business with people they like and they trust and they want to yeah. do business with and so I've taken what I've learned, you know, on the on the stages that's become this evolution. I wasn't always the extrovert you see in front of you now. Again, I needed to do it over and over and over again. And then again, I shifted um, my storytelling to connect more deeply with audiences in a very different way. Um, and that in itself, seeing their reaction and response brings me a lot of joy, uh, which is why I'm happy we're back to in person and it's not all virtual now. Yeah. What got you into acting? So my, um, my mom put me into well, a modeling originally. So I'm, um, so again, I'm, I'm adopted. And so they didn't know exactly how tall I was going to be, but I'm five foot eight. And I hit this height by the time I was 11 years old, uh, they thought I was going to be like six feet tall or, uh, or more. And I was fairly shy. So my mom thought it would be a great way to put me um, in a situation to break me out of my shell a little bit and that modeling and I never grew taller and five eights, the minimum to do run runway work. Um, and so I started shifting to do some, some print work and then I got to do some commercials and then that, and then I took acting while I was in, um, in high school and I loved it. And so then I just kind of continued it for probably into my early twenties. And then when it, you know, conflicted with my corporate career and my ability to do that in the, you know, in the evenings part-time. Yeah. So you, so you did it pretty for a pretty good while up into your twenties. Yeah. Well, I mean, what was it like? I mean, going through it that long in that process, I mean. I, 
I, I really, really enjoyed it. In fact, part of the reason I stopped was I also got relocated with work cross country. And so I, and I had bought the casting agency. So I've long since been, although I'm a corporate executive for like fortune 500 companies, I've also built and bought businesses. And so when I was 19, I think 18 or 19, um, the agency that was representing me, the two guys that owned it were relocating back to um, where they'd, they'd originally come from. And I bought it from them. And, uh, so that afforded me a few more opportunities to, to get placed obviously. And, uh, but I, again, I just enjoyed it. I moved cross country. So I, I sold, I sold that business to a business partner and, um, and thought I would get started all over again, but then life took me away from that, you know, to, you know, met my, you know, ex and got promoted further at work and had children shortly afterwards. And so I, I never did it again, but I, um, I did a lot of like commercials and, um, some small TV work, but I actually, my, my favorite was on stages, probably why the public speaking still resonates a lot with me because you, you feel the vibe in the room and the audience and how they respond and react to you. Did you think when at that age that, you know, that was your goal in life was to become a big actress or a model? I mean, was that kind of what you were leaning towards or you were just kind of going with the flow because no, it, um, it paid, well. it paid well, but I think I was always, I bought my first house at 19 as well. So again, you my drive, my drive. And I was like, well, that's not going to pay my mortgage and it can end at any time. And so it was always kind of the a side hustle for me that again, I enjoyed doing it. You know, I could go and do commercial and make a couple thousand dollars. That was, and that was like 25 or however many years ago uh, that I was doing it. Um, but I think I was always very pragmatic and recognized that um, as much as it would be cool, I was not going to be, you know, a Hollywood star. Mm. So you kind of, I guess, a good re- realistic view on it at the same time. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, but yeah, that's cool. Like buying your house at 19, though. Yeah, that had to be thrilling and kind of nerve-wracking. It was, and I have this relationship with money, which is really interesting because coming from nothing, you know, and my parents, as I said, mom, a secretary, dad, a janitor, didn't have money, didn't go on vacations, uh, couldn't go on my, you know, senior year um, class trip because they didn't have money. Um, I gave my parents my house. I got relocated across country when I was 20 and they had declared bankruptcy. And so they were able to assume the mortgage without qualifying. Mm-hmm. And sadly, they lost it um, two or three years later in a subsequent bankruptcy yet again. Um, you know, but for me, it's just, you know, the money could be re- remade uh, for sure. So um, but then it, it's interesting, too. I think I felt I had something to prove. So, you know, into my you know 20s, even up into my 30s, I felt I was trying to accumulate more and more to impress others. Quite ah, frankly, yeah. to impress others. And so my my relationship with money and material possessions changed um, in in my 30s, quite frankly. Uh, I've always continued to work hard for it, but I left my ex everything in our divorce uh, because, again, it was I felt it was the right thing to do. Um, and so, again, relationship with money has been really interesting. And at one point, I remember flying my dad out um, uh, and I had a live-in nanny at the time in a large home, and I actually felt almost embarrassed. Like, Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line 
prop or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Although I I should have just hoped that he would be proud of all that I'd accomplished. I just remember feeling, oh, like... I, I mean, I don't know if embarrassed is the right way, but I'd, I'd achieved a level that my parents never did. And so I, I was worried about how he would view that. It's interesting. Like they would envy you or be jealous. I don't know if it's jealousy. I mean, my mom, unfortunately my mom passed away when I was pregnant with my daughter. So it was after that, that I, I actually had brought my dad out and I just, I, I felt it, it, it created a lot of discomfort recognizing um, where you know, he had come from and the lifestyle he, you know, he led to like then step into mine. Uh, and so I, I should have just, you know, felt proud and hoped that they would feel the same for me. But I just had this incredible sense of discomfort about the whole thing. Mm. It, so I don't know. So, I'm, OK, let me get my thought together here. So I'm getting ready to start reading the book, The Psychology of Money, which I haven't started yet, but that's my next book I'm going to read. But I'm wondering, based on what you said and um, some things that I've seen in my lifetime that when, you know, when people do get to a certain level of success and they're able to and not, you know, purchase, you know, like a Rolex just to make them say, oh, I'm successful now. I got a Rolex or fancy cars or whatever. But when people are able to, I guess, afford nicer things or have a different type of lifestyle that it's almost it's sense like survivor's guilt, I guess. Maybe that's not the right word I'm trying to say, but but they don't want to initially show off that materialistic thing to others just because of what judgment they might receive and that they know that you know they might be looked down upon or and it's I, and I guess where I get that from you know I used to work at a produce warehouse and all these kind of blue collar jobs you know uh growing up and you know if you drove in with a brand new car or whatever people would instantly say like oh we know who's making all the money or you can't hide money can you and like stupid little things like that and it was like quick you know I mean it's got a new truck it ain't really a big deal at that you know at that time so I wonder if there's just something weird with the way the mind interprets money in today's society or even back then society, you know, and it's just like, you know, these life weird life lessons that you have to come across and to try to adapt to that situation. I hope that kind of made sense. What I was trying to say, I was trying yeah, to, no, no, I, okay. I think you're right. And it's funny because I, when I say this weird relationship for me with money at the time is I, I wanted the bigger and the bigger house and the vehicles and all of those things to show the rest of the world I'd made it. Yeah. Right. Um, and so I aspired for that and I wanted to sort of show my success in, in wealth yet with my, my dad, um, that it was the one where it was like, I, I, again, it felt un, un, uncomfortable because it was a place, you know, he hadn't, he hadn't come from, but then also it, it shifted all around to me. So my, um, my ex, passed away from second bout of cancer, um, which we found out had come back a few months after we separated. That's actually quite frankly, why I left my ex everything in the divorce. Cause I was younger. I was the primary earner and I was like recognizing with the, the journey that was ahead um, for my ex to, to go through the process again. But that was also, it was at that, and then my ex passed away um, uh, from it. But that, that moment it's so fleeting. My ex was not even was 49 years old. And wow. so, and I was 
30 something. There was a 13 year age difference from us. Uh, and, but that, that also changed my relationship with money because for me, life is so fleeting, you know, my children had lost a parent that my, um, my concern with proving to the rest of the world what I'd achieved um, with material possessions changed because I remember my mom um, joked around um, when I was young and she's like, you know, money doesn't buy happiness. Although she'd say, but it makes one hell of a down payment. Um, (laughs) But, but at the same time, that's, I, I realized that. So it's funny because I then started downsizing homes. You know, I, I met, when I met my, my now husband, I remember he came into this, you know, to see me like, in my home and it was like myself and the two kids and I'm like for for what level did I need that home and so for then I've started to shed a lot of those things don't get me wrong I still love my Louis Vuitton and my Christian Dior you know a few things that I like but otherwise I don't I don't need a lot of that it it is about you know the um, the time we get with our family and friends and so sure. many other things yeah yeah and you know that's one of the misconceptions or Meredith, whatever you want to say. Again, you know, when I was working in higher education, my students, you know, would always say, you know, I want that Rolex or I want to be driving a Bugatti or whatever it is. And that's, you know, because then they know they've made it or whatever. But I did a podcast with Brent Cassidy. And, you know, he actually, you know, did this whole insurance thing and he ended up going to jail. Long story short, got really wealthy and ended up going to jail. And that's kind of where he started to learn to realize that, you know, it is about family and friends and that, yeah, you know, you had tons of money and the way he explained it was, you know, how Forrest Gump does, you know, it's where it's, you know, we don't have to worry about money anymore. It's just one less thing, which it didn't change, you know, his relationships or, you know, how he lived his life or, you know, the people that meant the most to him. It was just him learning that while in prison and being isolated that, hey, you know, I got people on the outside that need me and, you know, that I want to be with. And it doesn't matter if you have $10 in your pocket or $1,000 in your pocket. Right. But, and I'm, and I'm like you too. I have like nice things too, for sure. But, um, and I'm not shitting on nice things by any means, but it's just, and also that my maturity level, I feel like, you know, I've seen that as I've gotten older, where the moments you have in life and what you're doing with them and spending them, like, you know, just going out and having a nice dinner with friends and families means worse or means the most to me now. You know, I heard a quote one time that all you should really care about in life is that whenever you walk into a restaurant, you never have to worry about how much it's going to cost. Like everything else in life is just bullshit. And I was like, that made so much sense to me at the time. I was like, that's right. You know, it's like, you know, I mean, who cares? I mean, I mean, like, like, again, I like nice cars and stuff too. But again, it's like those memories and reflections in my head are like what I'm going to remember the most in the conversations and the laughs and the drinks and those. So, yeah, I don't know. So maybe it's. Although I have this related to that, Chris, my, um, my husband was like, super cheap. He could never imagine like ordering a, an expensive bottle of wine off the menu. And I remember like saying to him at one point, similar to what you were just saying, like, babe, life is too short to drink shitty wine. Right? Like, so, you know, if we want to order the hundred or $150 bottle, I'm going to do it. Yeah. Well, it's, and it comes down to, you know, with a, with a term breaking bread with people, you know, you bring strangers together and, and I can't remember where I've heard this from picking it up or podcast or something but you know when you broke bread with people like you were inviting strangers in your house and obviously this was before modern times i would think but um, but yeah you know and like that was sharing that meal with these strangers or whatever like meant these you know meant more had more traditional values rather than just being scared to open up to people and talk about their lives and learn about what they've been through their trials and tribulations and obstacles and all that so yeah so and i'm not a big bread eater but you know, like, hey, man, you know, it's it's cool to say that now. Like, hey, come on, let's break some bread. But even though we just eat whatever, like steak mainly. But yeah, 
But yeah, and, and, and like <laughs> when you were talking about the storytelling part of it, that you know, going back before radio and television and podcasts and all that, that's just kind of was that family's entertainment. Was that oh, who can tell a good story tonight? You know, then yeah. you can go fact check them or whatever. But it's like, hey, it was still a good story, right? So yeah, <laughs> good right. times like that. It's good times like that. But yeah. but yeah, so I guess moving on though, I mean, what is what does your future look like for yourself? I mean, do you want to keep buying businesses? Do you want to keep, you know, doing this public speaking? Do you want to keep moving up? I mean, like, do you have set goals for yourself or what? I mean, I know I you're do. also I, I, so writing more books. And I, mean, I know you, I oh, said, yeah. you're also an author too. So, I mean, do you have more goals to keep doing, just see, just keep riding the bus till the wheels fall off or what? <laughs> I, I, I didn't have, it's, I didn't have uh, the objective when I was you know, young uh, around what l- level or title or um, I w- wanted to achieve. Actually, the goal was, I wanted to be from the time I was probably 10 or 11 years old, I wanted to be a lawyer. Uh, and I ended up taking a year off um, before what I thought was going to be law school working at the bank that because they promoted me. And then I never I never went to law school because I ended up loving the world of business and, and leadership. And so I didn't. I didn't ex- expect, I, th- I think I always knew I was pushing hard, but I didn't, I didn't have this goal or objective. At some point it developed, like I, I wanted to make the top 40 under 40. And um, if you'll hear maybe a bit of an accent, I'm actually originally from Canada, um, but have lived and worked in, in the US um, for many years. And um, they stopped doing it for a period of time, that top 40 under 40, when I was 37 or 38 years old, and they didn't bring it back until um, I was 41 or 42. And so that's a, an X for me on one of the goals or objectives I had. You know, I made COO at 24, president of a company at 35, CEO by 41. And so from a career perspective, I, I've achieved a lot. Yeah. You know, I now lead a really large portfolio for Accenture, which is a massive, you know, consulting and technology and outsourcing um, organization. But I would like to go back to be the C- a C-suite executive on the client side and do that for a period of time. I, you know, I often turn around businesses. And so I want to go and do that as the client, not just, you know, consulting and then, you know, passing off the plan and walking away. And so I will do that and and then eventually lead what, you know, is referred to as sort of a portfolio career where sitting on multiple boards, I sit on some now, but the goal is to, you know, you know, sit on multiple um, for-profit paid boards, doing public speaking, writing other books, and then choosing how I spend my time. But I'm only 46, so I've got a long runway. Um, my husband says, you know, I'm never going to retire. Probably true, uh, but I'll just, you know, choose to do things um, that I enjoy doing. I spend a lot of time talking to people about um, doing what brings them joy, personally or professionally, and then learning to say no or outsource the things that that doesn't bring them joy or value, quite frankly. So yes, I will write another book. I don't want public speaking to be 100% of what I do because right now it is that spark of joy for me. And if it became a full-time thing for me, I think I would enjoy it a little less. So again, doing it, you know, 20 or 30% of the time with these other things is, uh, is my, is my plan. Mm, I like it. I like it. Yeah. And, and I did have a plan um, to, as a, as a mother, I wanted to raise really good humans. And so now that they're adults and I'm close to being an empty nester with my daughter who wants to go and live with her brother and go to college where he is, Great. I'm sending them off into the world and they are good humans, maybe not as 
um, driven as, as I am, but their definition of success, they will define themselves. My son says all he wants is just to get married, have some children and have a dog in a house. And I do remind him that that costs money. Um, <laughs> but if that's what he wants and that's success for him, and then I'm like, amazing. Mm. Is there going to be a weird lifestyle change being having an empty nest now? Or is it just going to be business as usual? It's, it is going to be weird for sure. I mean, this is it, it brand new for me. My, my daughter just graduated high school and she was planning on taking a gap year. Um, and now she said, no, she's going to go back up to Canada where her brother is going. And so for me, it's going to be odd not to, you know, ha have, you know, a child at, at home for sure. That said, I was, I've always been really fortunate that um, both my ex and my husband now have been super supportive of my career. So when I traveled, you know, at one point in my, or multiple times in my career, but I remember one point in particular, almost a hundred percent, right? 220 something days in one business year, which is how many business days there are. Yeah. Um, I'm fortunate to have, and never had to put my career on hold to be able to do that. So um, it doesn't change that for me, but the ability to um, travel more, do things and not need to worry about children at home, that that's the part that changes. It, it just hit me. I want to go back a little bit. And you were talking about, I think you said something about teaching your clients to say no and to move out what doesn't bring them joy in their lives. And I didn't realize this. And in my point of view, but that's a lot tougher for people than I used to initially think and i guess because so many people want to be a people pleaser right but i never used to think that's actually an issue or a problem and i'm not saying it's like a full 100 problem or issue but it can be to an extent but i and i guess that's my point that i just used to think that oh people are just nice you know they're generally nice doing things for others but i didn't know how much to an extent that it could go where they're almost putting themselves at I don't know, an issue in their actually personal lives at the same time. So I guess that's like my next question or thought that, I mean, I didn't, I mean, do most of your clients, do you see that like 90%, 100% are all either have issues with saying no and or just being a people pleaser? Uh, I I think it depends on certainly the individual and their personality style. It, um, it also depends on where they are in their career. You know, it's easy for me as an executive to say, no, I'm not doing it, or to find members of my team to delegate to. Sure. When you're earlier in your career, you're the one who gets a lot of the stuff passed down to you. And so it's a challenge to say no. So it's learning to manage those expectations. And there's, again, there's some confidence uh, that needs to come with, with that for sure. And the ability to prioritize. And I think that's a combination of, as you said, not wanting to disappoint or to be the no. people pleaser. And so again, there's a lot that, that comes from the inside in terms of the confidence in your value and worth um, and what you do contribute and therefore your ability to say no to certain things. But I'm also a, a, a big proponent of, of, and sort of my saying is where there's conviction, there's capacity, you know? Mm -hmm. So when people will ask me and they say, well, how do you do it all? I mean, so I'm executive, I sit on boards, uh, I work out six days a week, at one point, when my kids were younger, um, I, you know, coached my daughter in particular, um, I coached her hockey team. And that was, I don't know, 15 or 20 hours a week, you know, so doing the things that I have great conviction, you find a way to do that. And so I talk about the nine to five, and then there's the five to nine. I, I mean, and no one really works nine to five, necessarily, we know, it. you know, time bleeds. But really, what I mean by that is, choosing how you're spending your time. At one point, I, I never watched television, because I, although I would make sure I was out of the office by six to come at home and have dinner with my family, I got back online and worked after the kids were in bed. Yeah. And so 
So, you know, learning to say no, learning to outsource or delegate to other people um, is, is a skill, quite frankly, and it takes some practice. And with that is confidence uh, in your abilities and also the conviction and discipline to figure out how to fit it all in. Yeah, that's one thing is also the self-discipline and time management that, again, like I've been learning, you know, I'm a single dad of two dogs, you know, I don't have any kids or anything, but also I've been asked before though, you know, with, you know, I recently ran a half marathon, I'm a CrossFit bro, you know, I compete in that, you know, I have a nine to five, well, it's not really quote unquote nine to five. And then I have this now, but I've been asked countless times, like, how do you, you know, still do it all? And so we'll be able to, you know, have social activities and, you know, catch up with friends and not be afraid to, you know, like, you know, if I go out and do this, am I putting this on the back burner? Is that going to affect me or anything? But it's really, I don't want to say it's simple, but once you, like, I'm, I've once heard a quote, great athletes are governed by routine. And I put myself into this routine and it's, tremendous for me just that because i know that okay i'll be at the nine to five from here to here i have my training from here you know from like five to nine like you just said that i could be doing x y and z and that's really what it just boils down to to me and like yeah i might be making it more simpler than what it is and not every i'm sure there's people screaming at the their phones or whatever they're listening to this on right now it's not that easy but i think it can be that easy and you know and you're and you're a good point too with actually you know having a family and all the stuff that you're doing, sitting on boards and running businesses and all that good stuff that it's just a matter of, do you really want to do it or not? And yeah. And like you said, sacrificing TV, you know, well, some of the things you have to do, right. Right. Yeah. yeah nobody wants to do that, but you know, you do the things you don't want to do. So they help you in the next the following days. So yeah. Mike Tyson used to say that too, or some of that. one of those stupid quotes like that, but, <laughs> but yeah, it's uh. Yeah. And I used to think that having routines and being set to a schedule and having a calendar, like, you know, like almost it was very, you know, like you were geeky and nerdy, you know, that was just like, oh, that's not cool. <laughs> you know, like fall by the seam of your pants, but there's a lot of power into it. And yeah. And I guess that's my whole point is that, Hey, if you really want to be set to do something and whatever with everyone's, everyone's got shit to do all the time. So if you really want to do it, you'll find time for it. Right. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, so for me, for working out, I used to find, um, you know, well, I would get up at five or five thirty in the morning to get to the gym first thing, be able to shower, be ready, and then get to the office. And so for me, that meant I had to go to bed at like nine thirty, ten o'clock, yeah. be getting up at five. And um, you know, as my kids got older, I mean, they would laugh at me because they were they had a later bedtime than I did. Uh, but that's what was you know I, my workout time is first thing in the morning. You know, so you know the discipline around what that looks like, and then also making time for. I'm a very big proponent of you're building your personal brand and your network. And we talked about breaking bread. And mm -hmm. so make time to, I don't know if you've heard of the book, Keith, um, written by Keith Ferrazzi called Never Eat Alone. Mm -hmm. um, and my husband jokes that it's always eat alone for him because pre-pandemic, I was every, I would block up my calendar for lunch, whether that was with clients or suppliers or, you know, um, prospective clients or just fr friends and staying really connected to my network. And so again, that comes with discipline in terms of making sure that that's blocked in, you know, in the calendar and, and, uh, and having routine. And I remember I'm, you know, in my mid forties. Um, so, you know, being older than you that, um, carrying around one of those like ring um, binders before everything was in the phone, right. Yeah. So that was, that was geeky. Uh, <laughs> so I'm glad it's all in my hand now. For sure. It makes things easier. Do you find that, you know, sticking to that morning routine of you working out and stuff that kind of helps set your day that 
oh, I got my workout accomplished. I'm showered. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to take on everything that comes to me. Like that kind oh, yeah. of you up for success. For me, right yeah, I know for me, it gives me energy uh, for the day. It's sort of, it's also like, it's, it's my, I'll say quiet time, although actually I'm an avid people watcher. So I don't like working out at home. I go to a physical gym, I'm watching everything, but I have my headphones on. And so I'll start with, um, usually the the daily podcast kind of get current current news or whatever um, you know whatever news headlines and then I either move to music or sometimes it's an audio book but that's my time me time mm -hmm. uh, you know charge and get gain energy and get ready for the day yeah yeah I love that because like I, like as I said when I was running for that half marathon or training for that half marathon I would bounce around between you know podcasts music or audiobooks and and again it was just like you were there by yourself and you were just in your moment and you were just taking in whatever you were listening to and just hey like I don't want to say me time but that's generally what it was I never thought about it like that but it just yeah when I was running and whether it be in the mornings or during my lunch break it was like oh okay now I'm ready to do the rest of my day, even if I'd already started like half my day at work and then go down my lunch break, it just, the second half made it even much more better just because of those yeah. reasons right there. And just even the learning something new or just thinking and having your own thoughts. Like I remember just pausing the podcast or whatever, the book at a couple of times based on whatever they said and just like kind of taking that in. It's like, let me think about this a little bit. I was like, Oh, okay. Now let me look at it in their point of view. That makes sense now. So little, little wins like that for me. So anyway, but uh, Victoria, I want to be respectful of your time. Uh, I know that we're right closing in on that. So if people want to find you or anything you want to plug or all that good stuff, feel free to do that. Sure. So you can Google me. It's a little scary now when I interview someone and they know a lot about me. If you, if you do, I'm probably most of the first 10 pages, um, nice. but the best way to learn about me, see articles, I, I will put links to podcasts I'm on or media that I've been is on my website, which is just Victoria dash peltier.com or um, for those in business you can connect with me on linkedin directly cool well thanks for being here thanks for chatting with me and all that good stuff and it was fun i enjoyed it thanks chris it was a pleasure right. see you Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to fifteen hundred dollars back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park The new Super Beats Heart Chews Advanced is now supercharged with CoQ10. Support your healthy CoQ10 levels and blood pressure with two chews a day. Visit RadioBeats, B-E-E-T-S dot com 
and save 15% with promo code DEAL.